0: this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at the end. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, Immediately the boat was at land, at the land to which they were going. May God bless the reading amen. of this Holy Word, and let us Church say Amen. 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 Can you hear me? Okay. Jeff, the possible. No, no microphone. The light on. It is on. If Spurgeon could preach without a microphone in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, <laughs> we will go without it this morning. Let me ask you, have you ever wrestled with anxiety? Really struggled with anxiety? Anxiety is a feeling that we have when we become worried about the uncertainty of the future. Anxiety is the mental turmoil that we have when we become preoccupied with tomorrow's concerns today. Anxiety is the dread that overcomes us when we don't know how things in our life are going to work out. And I think all of us struggle or have struggled with anxiety at different points in our lives. Personally, I've had my own struggles with anxiety. I remember a few years ago having a a follow-up appointment with a dermatologist regarding skin cancer. And I remember feeling very anxious about hearing those reports. grew up near my grandmother, and I remember my grandmother wrestling with anxiety. Probably because she grew up dirt core in Kentucky. And I remember as snowstorms would be brewing over the Great Lakes and be making their way to where we lived in Indiana, my grandmother would sit anxiously watching the Weather Channel fidgeting and picking at her nails and cuticles, chain smoking cigarettes until she finally gave in and, and went to bed. Do you remember the anxiety that people felt in 2020 when we got the news that there was the coronavirus that was spreading across the world? Do you remember the anxiety in people's eyes as they bought more food than they needed and more toilet paper than they needed? <laughs> anxiety can be a crushing weight to carry. Anxiety can steal your sleep, ruin your appetite, cause strain on your relationships, and make you feel ill-tempered. Anxiety can also impact the way you think about God. Crippling anxiety can make you doubt God's providence, make you doubt God's goodness, God's love, God's rule and reign in the world. I love this passage in John 6 because it teaches us a lot about how to combat anxiety. We learn something vitally important in the Christian life. And it will be a lesson that will be easy for all of our minds to comprehend. This is information you already know that I'm going to tell you this morning. You will easily grasp it with your mind, but it's something that you will need to plant firmly and deeply in your heart you will have to preach this to yourself time and time again when you wrestle with anxiety in your life jesus provides all our needs we see that here in john chapter 6 verses 1 through 21 jesus provides all our needs and we need this truth hidden deep in our hearts life can be difficult Tragedies unexpected, and uncertainties abound. We need to know that Jesus provides all our needs. Well, how did Jesus reveal that he is the one who provides all our needs? One of the ways he has revealed this truth in John chapter 6 is the fourth sign. Here we are in John 6 at the fourth sign sign and this fourth sign reveals Jesus provides all our needs. So what is the fourth sign? Let's look at this sign together. Here we go. That's a sign. That's a sign. (laughs) Let's look together at this sign, Jesus fourth sign of feeding the five thousand. First I want you to notice in this passage That Jesus and his disciples need a vacation they have been busy Jesus popularity and fame at this point in his ministry has only grown since the first sign the turning of the water into wine at the wedding in Cana many people were coming to Jesus crowds were coming to Jesus and in the parallel account of this story in Mark's gospel, we learn that Jesus and his disciples were so busy with the work of ministry, they didn't even have time to do the basic necessities of life, like eat. They're busy. So Jesus and his disciples, they decide that a little sea breeze and cool mountain air will do them good. And they do this like many of us associated with a national holiday. So they get away to the mountain on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And here we learn in verse 2 that there is no rest for the weary. For what happens as they depart away to the mountain for a little R&R. The crowds follow them. You see that there in verse 2. A large crowd was following Jesus. Well, why was a large crowd following Jesus? Well, because Jesus. He's doing all these signs, and he was doing them for the sick. And there's no end of all the sick people, blind, sick, deaf, mute, lame, afflicted people who need healing from Jesus. And so it's just this constant barrage of people demanding Jesus' time. And so as Jesus and his disciples go off to the mountain for Rest and relaxation for respite that they need. The crowds follow them. You see that there in verse 4 that Jesus is going to spend some time with his disciples. He's going to teach his disciples. He's going to invest some of his time in his disciples. And what happens when Jesus in verse 5 begins to do this? Verse 5 tells us that he lifts up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him him. So Jesus is about to teach the disciples, but instead of doing that, what does Jesus find? A whole crowd of people are coming up to Jesus, a massive crowd of people. And as we'll soon learn, probably a crowd as large as 20,000 people are coming to Jesus. And Jesus spends some time teaching the crowds. We learned this in Mark's parallel account of this story, that Jesus taught them, that he spent some time, and he taught them, and he taught them all day. You think I preached wrong. Jesus preached to them all day. So long that the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, listen, Jesus, it's been all day. Great sermon. Ten hours is enough. Send them home, back into the villages, so that they can buy some food for themselves. They need to eat, Jesus. And so Jesus, responding to the disciples, he looks at Philip here in verse 5, and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Let's not send them away, Jesus says. Let's feed them. And Philip gives the most logical answer. Now, Philip is from the area, okay? Philip, This is Philip's home turf. And perhaps Jesus, you know, he's asking Philip, where's the nearest Costco or Sam's Club that we can drive our our ministry semi to and fill it up with food and bring it back and feed these people? What does Philip say? Philip answered him. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. A denarii was an average day's wage. So what Philip is saying is, 200 days of wages would not even be enough money to buy food so that each of these people could get a little bit. It's impossible, Jesus. We're out here in the wilderness, we're out here in the middle of nowhere, and there's no way for us to feed them. Not only do we not have the money, there's there's not enough resources here. Besides, we're all tired. You've been preaching all day. These crowds have been following us the whole time. Send them home. Let's call it a day. We've done our work. It's time for us to have a little rest. I love the exchange here in verse 8 that we learn whether this was a demonstration of great faith, perhaps, You know, we we have no tone. Was this a joke? Probably not. It's probably an expression of great faith. One of the disciples, we learn in verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He comes to Jesus and says, all right, Jesus, here's what we have. There's a little boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fishes. This is a poor blue-collar lunch for a little boy. Barley bread was cheap. And the fish is probably more akin to, like, sardines, like opening up a can of sardines, some sort of, like, pickled fish that this boy's family would send him along to hear Jesus teach all day. And so what they tell Jesus is, look, all we have here is this boy with five barley loaves and two fishes. But what is that among so many? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, that'll be enough. Have everybody sit down. Have the people sit down. There's a nice grassy hillside. We're all going to have a picnic. Distribute the food. So Jesus takes the loaves. He takes the fish. He gives thanks to God. And he has it distributed to those who were seated. How much do these people eat from these five small barley loaves and two pickled fish? How much did they eat? Well, they ate until they were full. They ate an abundance of food. It says here in verse 11 that they ate as much as they wanted. Not only did they eat as much as they had wanted, verse 12 for emphasis tells us that they had eaten their fill. Now, how many people was this? Well, the scripture tells us it was 5,000 men. And if you include women and children is probably a crowd of 20,000 people or so that are here seated on the hillside picnicking with Jesus, eating barley loaves and fish until their bellies are full and they can eat no more. All of them were satisfied. Jesus tells the disciples, go gather up the last leftover fragments. They go among the crowds and they gather up Twelve baskets full of food. Jesus has gone from limited rest and limited resources to abundant feast. Have you ever been hangry? Some of you are hangry right now. (laughs) Hangry, if you're not familiar with the word, is a combination of two words. Hungry and angry. Hungry and angry. Hangry. Hangry is what happens, according to the Cleveland Clinic, when some people haven't eaten in a while. And their blood glucose levels begin to drop. And their body begins to release cortisol and adrenaline. The fight or flight hormones. Sours people's moods making them ill-tempered, difficult to be around. Makes it hard for them to concentrate on tasks like sitting and listening to a sermon in church because they're hungry and they want some food. I think we've all been there before, haven't we? And if we're not careful, we'll project our own weaknesses onto God, won't we? We'll presume that because we grow tired and weary and weak and hungry and angry and hangry and impatient and short and ill-tempered and our mood's sour, we'll presume that God responds the same way to us at times in our lives we'll presume that maybe he's too busy taking care of the whole universe to care about our own specific needs. Maybe he's grown tired of the sin that we're struggling with, and so this time, coming to the Lord in prayer, he's had enough to hear with us, and he's not going to hear our prayers this time. This passage that teaches that Jesus provides all our needs. Everything that Jesus does and says reveals who? The Father. We've already learned that in the Gospel of John, haven't we? Jesus is the one who exegetes the Father for us. He is the one who explains what God the Father is like. Look over this passage. Does Jesus become ill tempered? Does Jesus become impatient? Does Jesus shift blame to the crowd, the 20,000, and say, hey, listen, Tough luck. All of you should have fought ahead like this little boy and brought some food for yourselves. Does Jesus shift blame to the disciples and tell the disciples, you know, you should have given me a little heads up that this many people were going to come here today. Is Jesus just disinterested in them and say, yeah, I'm giving you all that I can. It's time for you to go home. Jesus doesn't do any of this because God is not like that in his care for us. Jesus is so kind and gracious that he would provide for them the food that their stomachs need. Jesus provides all our needs. And he proves that to us by giving us this fourth sign of feeding the 5,000. And as kind and as gracious as feeding this vast multitude was, how long did this blessing last for them? How many of these people needed to eat again? One hundred percent of them. Every single person who ate this meal that Jesus provided for them needed food. Again, in order to survive. There must be a greater lesson here. Jesus must be teaching us something greater. Some sort of spiritual truth. Like all the other signs in John's Gospel. There must be for us here. Conveyed to us. A greater, deeper spiritual significance. That reveals the character and nature of God. and the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. And here it is. Jesus provides all our needs. Specifically, Jesus provides for all our spiritual needs. Not only does he care about our physical needs, that's true. He's, he's very provident to us, isn't he? He's caring, and loving for us. But not only does he care for our physical needs, but as Christians, Jesus cares for our spiritual needs as well. This whole passage is, is awesome to look at and examine, just the miracle in and of itself. But what John has done in the recording of this miracle is he's woven into the tapestry of this miracle threads of the Exodus story. Let me show them to you. When did Jesus do this miracle? Look at verse 4. We're given a time frame, aren't we? Look at verse 4. When did Jesus do this? This was during the time of the what? The Passover. What was the Passover? Well, the Passover was the holiday celebrated by the Jews that commemorated God delivering them from bondage in Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt, and God delivered them out of that bondage. He led them by the hand of Moses, leading them Through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, establishing his covenant with them, giving them his law, and bringing them into the promised land. You remember the Passover, don't you? And so here Jesus does this miracle at the time of the Passover. We also are to think about, when we look at this, the large crowds that followed Moses out of Egypt. Do you see here in verses 2 and 5 that the large crowds are gathering to Jesus to do what? They're gathering to Jesus to hear God speak. And akin to that, who also gathered in the wilderness on a mountain to hear God speak? It's not a true question, is it is the Israelites themselves, they gather at Mount Sinai under the leadership of Moses to hear God speak. How many basketfuls did, how much leftovers were collected after this miracle? Well, look here at verse 13. Twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Why is the number 12 so important? Why 12 baskets? Well, it could be there's just 12 disciples, but I don't think this is just a coincidence. We have all the other elements here of Passover and the mention of Moses. We'll get to him in a moment. How many tribes of Israel are there? There are 12. And so here what John is reminding us is just as God provided for his covenant people, In the wilderness, through Moses, the covenant mediator, so too God cares for our spiritual needs through Jesus Christ. In fact, the symbolism is so pronounced, the people even conclude this, don't they? What do they conclude about Jesus in verse 14? Well, they saw the sign, and they say, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Who is the prophet? We've already seen mention of this prophet, haven't we? This is a reference to Deuteronomy 16 Deuteronomy 18:15. Moses prophesied that after his death God would send a prophet like him who would come and lead God's covenant people, whose words would be filled with God's words, and he would reveal to God's people how they must live. A woman at the well? She's waiting for the prophet. The Jewish leaders think John the Baptist might be the prophet. And here it's the crowds with their bellies full. Who say, it's Jesus. This is the prophet who has come into the world. Even the the dialogue of Jesus. Between Jesus and his disciples remind us of Moses. you remember the story in Numbers chapter 11. When the Israelites... Complain about the manna. Oh, they're grumbling and complaining about the manna. They want some meat. God, give us some meat. Moses, give to us some meat. And Moses prays in Numbers 11 13, Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? It's impossible, Lord. Their demands upon me are too high and too great. In fact, That demand filled Moses with such anxiety, he prayed that God would take his life here in Numbers 11. The stress of caring for all those Israelites in the wilderness, of providing food for them, of teaching them God's law. This stress was so great, their complaining and demands upon him were so great, Moses is not able to carry it all. Not Jesus see, Jesus is a prophet greater than Moses, isn't he? Here in John chapter 6, there's no complaining from Jesus, no stress from Jesus. No anxiety fills Jesus' heart and mind. Jesus takes the limited resources, he blesses them, gives thanks to them, and gives them to the people to provide for them. Jesus fulfills the ministry of Moses. Caring for his new covenant people, the church. You know, we might be left to think that this is the essence of what the church is called to do. We look at a passage like John chapter 6 and we think that the church should be involved following the example of Jesus providing for the needs of people. And indeed, when we think about the work and the ministry of the church throughout the centuries, the church has done countless deeds of benevolence. i just recorded a couple. I just immediately thought of a couple. Samaritan's Purse and Disaster Review. Salvation Army and Feeding and Clothing the Poor. Places like the Savannah Care Center who are helping women in crisis with pregnancy. food branch, Food pantries. Addiction recovery, orphanages, medical missions, even ministries like with like Bible translators will go into a, a place and create a language, a written language for people. So that not only can they have a Bible in their own language, they can have a written form of their language. Aren't all these good works proof that the gospel exists to meet the physical needs of people? Is that the essence of what the gospel is about? Is that what we're called to do? Just to go about doing good works. If that were so, Jesus could end his ministry right here in John chapter 6. Couldn't he? In fact, that's what the crowds think about Jesus. When they see this... Miracle! They see this sign. What do they want to do? They want to take Jesus and make Him king. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, Jesus withdrew. They thought, this is wonderful. If Jesus can take uh, these five loaves and two fishes and and feed 20,000 people, imagine what Jesus could do in Jerusalem. Imagine the crowd that He could amass in Jerusalem, and imagine the army that He could gather together, and imagine how we could finally rid ourselves of Roman occupation and and throw off foreign rule over our lives. Jesus will be our King that we have finally been waiting for. And if the social gospel is true, if this is all the essence of the gospel is. Jesus could have ended his ministry right here in John chapter 6. He could have said, mission accomplished. I've provided for their physical needs. It's time to pack it in. I'll now ascend into the Father. Jesus won't have any part of it, will he? He withdraws himself away. He will not allow them to make him their king. Why? Because their spiritual needs. Were greater than their physical needs. They need not a king who is ruling and reigning in the temple in Jerusalem. They need a king who is ruling and reigning in the temple in heaven. Who goes into the temple with the sacrifice of his own blood. A perfect prophet, priest, and king. Yes, one greater than Aaron. One greater than Moses. One greater than David. Who will rule and reign from his throne in heaven for all eternity? That's what they need. Jesus provides all our needs. He's so kind and gracious to provide for our physical needs, but more importantly, he provides for our spiritual needs. Well. What do we do with this last miracle here in John 6? How does Jesus walking on water relate to Jesus feeding the 5,000? Because as, we, as we'll soon learn, immediately following this, Jesus explains the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 right after this. So this miracle here can... Seen ill place. What does it have to do with the others? Well, let's look at it together. The disciples, they finally have their chance for rest and relaxation away from the crowds and they go from, from the crowds to the storm, don't they? They get in a boat and get on the sea. They start across the Sea of Capernaum. And a swell comes up, and they're battered by the wind, and the rain, and the waves. And these, most of these men, fishermen, these hardened fishermen, who no doubt knew their way around a storm at sea, they are rowing three to four miles. What a time that must have been. Have you ever run three or four miles? That's hard enough. Could you imagine rowing three or four miles? In a typhoon, a storm at sea, here they are exhausted, and probably without much hope. Probably all about to drown in the sea. Until they see Jesus, verse 19, Jesus comes walking on the sea to them. You see that right there in verse 19? They saw Jesus walking on the sea. Where is he coming? Well, he's coming near the boat. He's walking on the sea towards them. And how do they respond? Well, if the storm wasn't frightening enough, seeing Jesus walking on the water scared them half to death. John tells us that they were frightened. How does Jesus respond to this? It is I, Jesus said. Do not be afraid. It's Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. Jesus is here. Let's bring him into the boat. Smart move. Jesus is brought into the boat, and immediately the boat is at the land to the place that they were going. Probably another miracle here. Not only the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, but the miracle of getting them to their destination quickly does this have to do with the feeding of the 5,000? The Apostle John loves creation and exodus, doesn't he? He's been talking to us about Moses. He's been talking to us about creation. In fact, he begins his gospel the way that the book of Genesis begins. Do you remember that? Remember Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You remember Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, that the earth was formless and empty and void, And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. God created the light. He created order out of all that chaotic mess that we read about in Genesis. And the Apostle John is saying that Jesus does the same thing for his people spiritually, doesn't? Jesus is the light who has come into the world. The light that shines in the darkness, that gives life to men. Here we're to be appalled at the disciples. We should be frightened with them. When we read in verse 17, as a God into a boat, in the dark, without Jesus. Gospel of John, darkness is the place where sin resides. Jesus is the light that brings life in the midst of the darkness of sin. Why is Jesus walking on the sea? Because when God comes to save his people nothing can do them. him. Think about the Israelites leaving Egypt, passing through the what? The Red Sea. Psalm 77, Asaph, the psalmist, in the dark times of the night, when he is filled with anxiety and worry. Asaph, the psalmist, do you know what he does? He reminds himself of how God delivered Israel from Egypt. He says in Psalm 77 verse 16 when the water saw you Oh God when the waters saw you they were afraid indeed the deep trouble what's he referencing here he's referencing the Red Sea when the Red Sea saw God coming to deliver his people it was so afraid it split in half that's what Asaph is to say the thunder and the storms and the the waves they're all announcing the coming presence of salvation of God who is coming to save his people. In fact, here's what he concludes in Psalm 77. Listen to verses 19 through 20. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet, listen to this, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See the full picture now, don't you? Here we are as God's people, and He's given to us Jesus. Jesus provides all our needs, not only our physical needs, like Israel and the wilderness. He provides for our spiritual needs. Our spiritual bondage to sin, like Israel in bondage in Egypt. And when God comes to deliver us, when Jesus comes to deliver us, there is nothing that can hinder him. Not the greatest sea, not the greatest storm, not the greatest hurricane, not even a Cat 5 hurricane can stop Jesus rescuing us from our sin. It is so great and awesome And when we're rescued by sin, God walks on the water to us to come and save us. You and I need to remember this because sometimes it won't feel like God's presence is with us. Sometimes it won't feel like that God is providing us For us. Sometimes it may feel like God has abandoned us. Or forgotten us. None of that's true. Don't believe those lies. Just like Jesus' response to Philip in this passage. He asked Philip, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? he did this to do what to Philip? To test him. Jesus already knew how he was going to provide for his people. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you this? There is a lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Before you and I were even born. Before you and I were even a a twinkling in our mother's eye. Before Adam and Eve fell into sin. There was already one who had offered to give himself as a sacrifice to save his people from their sins. You may not feel like God is with you at the moment, but let me assure you, he's but only tested so that you may learn this great truth that Jesus provides all our you. Let's pray.